0: to the Verity podcast for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topsher. And I'm
1: Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Trump makes a high profile court appearance in his New York trial.
0: A UN team enters Nagorno-Karabakh for the first time in 30 years.
1: The U.S. Congress avoids a government shutdown at the last minute.
0: The UK awards a 4.9 billion dollar contract to build a submarine with Australia and the US.
1: While Prime Minister Sunak insists there's no plan to send British troops to Ukraine.
0: Slovakia's populist party wins parliamentary elections.
1: The Afghan embassy in India closes operations.
0: Clarence Thomas recuses himself in the January 6 case.
1: The U.S. United Auto Workers Union reaches a deal with Mack Trucks.
0: And Tom Hanks sounds the alarm about his AI deepfake Hawking Dental Plans.
1: In our top story, Trump calls New York fraud trial a disgrace. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Fox News, Reuters, NBC and Al Jazeera. Former President Donald Trump on Monday sat through hours of opening arguments in the New York lawsuit that accuses him of fraud and could potentially cost him control of some of his top properties. During a lunch break, Trump called the proceedings a disgrace, a scam, and a sham. That's part of the witch hunt to prevent the frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination from returning to the White House. Trump, who was accused by New York State Attorney General Letitia James of inflating his assets to obtain favorable bank loans and lower insurance premiums, could face at least $250 million in fines, a permanent ban from running his businesses in the state, and a five-year commercial real estate ban. In a Manhattan courtroom, Kevin Wallace, a lawyer from James's office, said Trump and his company engaged in persistent illegal acts and that Trump overvalued his financial statements between $812 million and $2.2 billion while knowing they were false. Trump's attorney Alina Haba declared that Trump's actions weren't fraud but were reflective of the volatile real estate business. She said this case sets a very dangerous precedent for businesses in New York. This case is proceeding after Judge Arthur Engeron, who is presiding over the non-jury trial, last week ruled Trump and his two oldest sons lied to tax collectors, revoking some of the Trump organization's business licenses.
0: Thank you, Eric, for the facts. And on this show, we separate the facts from the narrative spins. We'll begin this round with a pro-Trump narrative from The Daily Wire. Engoron is in fact a Democrat, so it's ludicrous that he's allowed to preside over this case, and it's absurd to think Trump can get a fair trial in this situation. The Democrats aren't doing much to hide the fact that this is a continuation of the witch hunt against Trump and an attempt to derail his campaign. The only crime here is the one being committed against the former president.
1: We counter that with an anti-Trump narrative coming from Alternet. Don't take anything Trump says about this case seriously. When he calls the judge rogue and the prosecutor racist and claims this case is election interference, he's acting with illiberal impulses. Trump's derogatory comments are comparable to those of some of the most dangerous authoritarian rulers of history. And if anything disqualifies him from returning to the White House, it's his disrespect toward the rule of law.
0: And occasionally we get a nerd narrative on this show. This comes from the Metaculous Prediction community. And this one says there's a 57 percent chance that Donald Trump will be found guilty of any crime in the Manhattan case before Election Day of 2024. A U.N. team enters Nagorno-Karabakh for the first time in 30 years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, BBC News, France 24, Al Jazeera and The Guardian. A UN mission entered Nagorno-Karabakh on Sunday for the first time in 30 years to assess the situation in the region as a mass exodus of ethnic Armenians begins to wind down following a 24-hour Azerbaijani military offensive two weeks ago that led to the surrender of local forces. According to the Armenian government, over 100,000 people out of Nagorno-Karabakh's estimated population of 120,000 have fled the region for Armenia via the Lachine Corridor. The UN said that many of those fleeing are hungry, exhausted, and need immediate assistance. The International Red Cross and Red Crescent announced last week that it would need around $20 million to help those fleeing Nagorno-Karabakh, while Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev and Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan are set to hold Western brokered talks on Thursday in Granada, Spain. Meanwhile, Azerbaijan rejected Armenian accusations of ethnic cleansing, saying it was seeking the sustainable reintegration of ethnic Armenians and separatist leaders into Azerbaijani society, while also detaining senior figures from its former government and military leadership. After the fall of the Soviet Union, two former Soviet republics, Armenia and Azerbaijan, went to war in the early 1990s, with Armenia capturing areas in and around Nagorno Karabakh. A second war broke out in 2020, with Azerbaijan recapturing the territory and Russia playing a key role in negotiating a ceasefire. Tensions increased last year after Azerbaijan imposed a partial blockade of the Lashin Corridor, the only road linking Nagorno-Karabakh with Armenia.
1: Melissa, thank you for the facts. This story's generated a couple of spins. The first one is narrative A coming from the Armenian Weekly. Hundreds of years of Armenian history will soon be erased as Azerbaijan seeks to ethnically cleanse Nagorno-Karabakh, known as Artsakh, to its indigenous Armenian population. The world, yet again, is watching in silence as long-dispossessed people are pushed out of their homeland.
0: AZE Media brings us Narrative B. Azerbaijan has finally triumphed and reclaimed its sovereignty over Nagorno-Karabakh. This will dislodge Armenia's military presence in the region and ensure the return of refugees displaced by Armenia in the first war. Azerbaijan only seeks to live in harmony with its neighbors.
1: The U.S. Congress averts a government shutdown. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Hill, Associated Press, Reuters, CNN, and NDTV.com. A U.S. federal government shutdown was averted after Congress passed a stopgap funding bill three hours before the midnight Saturday deadline, with President Joe Biden signing it just shy of this cutoff. After an additional $6 billion in military and economic aid to Ukraine was dropped from the bipartisan deal, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives voted 335-91 to to pass the bill. The Democratic-led Senate then voted 88-9 to pass the bill. Also known as a continuing resolution, to keep the government funded at current levels through November 17th. In anticipation of a government shutdown, which would have seen many government services closed and a majority of the 4 billion federal workers go without pay, federal agencies had formulated a plan to decide what services would continue, such as border patrols, and what would shut down. The U.S. gross national debt has grown by $1 trillion in the last three months while the budget deficit has reached $1.5 trillion for the first 11 months of the fiscal year, an increase of 61% since last year. Meanwhile, the vote could cost Speaker Kevin McCarthy his job, as many GOP lawmakers had reportedly vowed to remove him if the stopgap measure was approved with Democrat support.
0: Thank you, Eric, for those facts. And we'll start with a Republican narrative from PJ Media. While a government shutdown is averted, it's only a temporary fix for a very real problem. The U.S. is sitting on $33 trillion of debt. Before Democrats celebrate this accomplishment, it should be noted that Congress did little more than push the deadline back some 45 days. There will be no shutdown for now, but if Democrats continue doing things like they've been since the mid 90s, that will change.
1: The Associated Press is providing a Democratic spin for this story. While the U.S. can breathe a sigh of relief, The country should never have been in this position in the first place. The GOP is solely responsible for bringing the federal government to the brink of default by demanding drastic cuts that would have devastated millions of Americans and damaged U.S. creditworthiness. The Republicans must stop playing political games with people's lives.
0: The nerds have an opinion on this one, and this one says there's a 50% chance that President Biden's net approval rating will be down by at least 11.1 points on November 1st, 2024. The UK awards a $4.9 billion contract to build AUKUS nuclear submarines. Here are the facts as agreed upon by DW, Al Jazeera, The Telegraph, The Financial Times, BBC News, and The Defense Post. UK Defence Secretary Grant Shapps announced Sunday that London awarded the British defence company BAE Systems a £4 billion or $4.9 billion contract to build nuclear-powered attack submarines under the AUKUS program that includes the UK, Australia and the US. According to the UK Ministry of Defense, the new submarines designated SSN AUKUS will be the largest, most advanced, and most powerful attack submarines the British Navy has ever operated, combining world-leading sensors, design, and weaponry in one vessel. While the deal's main contractor is BAE Systems, Britain's Babcock International has been awarded a five-year contract for the detailed design of the submarines as Rolls-Royce is supplying the nuclear reactors for the vessels, which are scheduled for delivery by the late 2030s. According to BAE, construction of the next-generation SSN AUKUS attack submarines, which will be operated by Australia and the UK and replace the current astute class, is expected to begin near the end of the decade and create more than 5,000 jobs. The multibillion-dollar investment will help the UK maintain its strategic advantage and secure our leading position in a contested global order, Schap said. The 2021 trilateral security pact between Australia, the U.K., and the U.S. has been criticized by China. The three countries unveiled details of the AUKUS plan in March, which involves Australia receiving nuclear-powered submarines with greater stealth power from the U.S. to replace its diesel-powered ones, and then building a new model using U.S. and U.K. technology to counter China's Indo-Pacific ambitions.
1: Thank you, Melissa. She provided the facts, and Nikkei Asia provides the first spin. It's an anti-China narrative. These nuclear-powered attack submarines are paramount in the West's effort to address China's military buildup. It is misleading to blame the U.S.-led AUKUS alliance for a regional arms race. Rather, Beijing's aggressive expansionism in the South China Sea and beyond, as well as the increase in its defense budget, alarm not only Taiwan, Japan, and the Philippines, but all freedom-loving nations. To contain the Chinese threat, the U.S. should further develop military partnerships with like-minded countries.
0: Here's the pro-China narrative from Press TV. This deal benefits only two groups, the British arms industry and the Western imperialistic bureaucrats. As for AUKUS, both the U.S. and U.K., along with their junior partner Australia, make no secret of the fact that they are primarily concerned with their hegemonic interests with respect to their geopolitical struggle with China even if this means betraying Western partners such as France. With its military buildup and Cold War mentality, the alliance is trying to stifle Beijing's prominence on the world stage.
1: The nerds from Metaculus give us a nerd narrative for this story as well. They say there's a 20% chance that the UK will respond with military forces if China invades Taiwan before the year 2035. The UK prime minister insists he has no plan to send British troops to Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Politico, Independent, and Declassified Media Limited. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on Sunday said that there were no immediate plans to send British military instructors to Ukraine, reeling back comments made by Defense Minister Grant Shapps that were published earlier in the day. In an interview with the Sunday Telegraph on the subject of British training of Ukrainian troops, Shapps said he'd been having discussions, quote, about eventually getting the training brought closer and actually into Ukraine. The minister added that he also wanted to see more British arms firms move manufacturing into Ukraine. The remarks prompted a fiery response from Dmitry Medvedev, Russia's former president and the current deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council, who said British instructors would become a, quote, legal target for our armed forces and be ruthlessly destroyed. Hours later, seeking to backtrack on the comments made by shaps, Sunak said that what the defense secretary was saying was that it might well be possible one day in the future for us to do some of that training in Ukraine. However, he clarified that was something for the long term, not the here and now. There are no British soldiers that will be sent to fight in the current conflict. Despite the assurances, US military documents leaked earlier in the year revealed that as many as 50 UK special forces personnel were deployed in Ukraine. At the time, they made up more than half of the 97 Special Forces personnel from NATO countries active in the nation. In July of this year, the UK Defense Ministry admitted that there was a total of 97 British troops deployed in Ukraine.
0: Thank you, Eric. We'll start this round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative from The Independent. It is necessary to clear up Shap's comments after some misreporting. He stated that British training of Ukrainian troops may take place in the country further down the line, but for the time being, it's not being considered. There are no plans to have UK forces fighting in Ukraine.
1: Declassified Media Limited gives us an establishment critical narrative. While the training itself may not yet be taking place in Ukraine, the UK is already deeply involved in supporting the Ukrainian war effort, including through weaponry, intelligence, and even the provision of British troops on the ground. The UK's heavy involvement in the conflict is bringing the country dangerously close to a direct confrontation with Russia.
0: And the Metaculous community brings us another nerd narrative. There's a 7% chance that there will be a war between Russia and one or more NATO countries, but not the U.S. by 2035. And we turn our heads to Slovakia, where the Populist Party wins the parliamentary election. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, CNN, BBC News, The Financial Times, and RT. The populist party of Slovakia's former prime minister, Robert Fico, which reportedly wants to stop military aid to Ukraine, has won Saturday's parliamentary election. According to preliminary results released by Slovakia's Statistical Office on Sunday, the Slovak Social Democracy, or SMERSD, party won 23.3 percent, while the liberal-progressive Slovakia party secured 17 percent of the votes. Progressive Slovakia's leader Mikhail Shemchka, considered pro-Kyiv, said SMERSD's win was bad news for the country, adding it will be even worse if Fico forms the government. Meanwhile, FITSO, forced to resign after investigative journalist Jan Kuciak's murder in 2018, is expected to begin long and complicated coalition talks to form the next government. After his victory, FITSO told reporters, We're here. We're ready. We've learned something. We're more experienced. Adding, people in Slovakia have bigger problems than Ukraine. Though Slovakia, a NATO country, has supplied surface-to-air missiles and its entire fleet of retired MiG-29 fighter jets, FITSO is a vocal critic of the EU's sanctions against Russia.
1: Melissa, thank you for the facts. As we begin our round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative coming from American Spectator, the fact that his party didn't secure a big enough share of the vote to govern on its own shows the true nature of FISO's win. He portrayed liberalism and human rights as more significant threats to citizens than widespread corruption and pro-Putin, pro-war sentiments. While FITSO has emerged on top based on politics of fear, Slovakia needs EU modernization and recovery funds. It must think twice before conflicting with Brussels and challenge the EU consensus on supporting Ukraine.
0: Here's the establishment critical narrative from Politico. It's an oversight to call FITSO a pro-Russian politician. Slovakia is a peaceful country, and the former prime minister is simply concerned about maintaining its national sovereignty and peace in the region. While it's a NATO member, Slovakia needs to pay attention to the rising number of migrants passing through its territory to Western Europe, as well as fix its budget deficit that's nearing 7% of gross domestic product this year, much more significant issues than the war in Ukraine.
1: The New York Times gives us a cynical narrative. Slovakia's parliamentary election wasn't about Ukraine, but a fight between conservatism and liberalism in everyday issues like food and fuel prices. However, a FITSO-led government could help bring into the mainstream calls for an end or reduction of military support to Kyiv, so far limited to Europe's right-wing political fringes, as SMERSD's win indicates a pronounced crack in NATO and EU unity over Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
0: Here's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous community saying there is a 0.1% chance that any state will leave NATO before 2024.
1: The Afghan embassy in India ends its operations. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Independent, Arab News, ABC News, Reuters, Associated Press and India Today. The Embassy of Afghanistan and in India's capital of New Delhi has suspended operations from Sunday due to the lack of diplomatic support in India and the absence of a legitimate functioning government in Kabul. Citing the Indian government's failure to meet expectations in serving Afghanistan's interests, the official statement added, it had become increasingly challenging to continue operations following cuts in staff and resources and difficulties renewing visas for diplomats. The Afghan embassy in India, which doesn't recognize the Taliban government in Afghanistan, has been run by staff appointed by former Afghan President Ashraf Ghani. About one-third of the nearly 40,000 refugees registered in India are Afghans. Though the embassy has ceased all operations, it will continue to provide emergency consular services to Afghan citizens until the transfer of the custodial authority of the mission to the Indian state. While India's external affairs ministry has yet to comment, Afghanistan's ambassador reportedly left the country months ago, and many diplomats have departed to third countries having received asylum. Meanwhile, despite its closure, the embassy reaffirmed that it was keen to reach an agreement with the Indian government at the earliest possible juncture concerning safeguarding the lives of Afghans residing in the country.
0: Thanks, Eric. The Afghanistan Times brings us a Narrative A following the news that Afghanistan's ambassador had already been absent from India for several months. Questions must be pointed at the leadership of the old regime appointees in New Delhi. Despite this, the reality remains that India has continued to ignore its diplomatic duty since 2021, a disappointing move that all but destroyed the embassy's long-term future in Kabul.
1: Narrative B comes from the Indian Defense Review. For India to officially recognize the Taliban authorities in Afghanistan would be to set a precedent of acceptability within international relations for power to be gained through the barrel of a gun. The consequent security risks aren't worth official ties with Kabul. New Delhi must continue to survey the situation in Afghanistan and provide diplomatic recognition once a legitimate government has been established.
0: And there's another nerd narrative with a 47% chance that Taliban-controlled Afghanistan will be used as a base for anti-NATO terrorism by 2026. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Clarence Thomas recuses himself in the Supreme Court January 6th case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, CNN, BBC News, The Financial Times, and RT. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to take an appeal by John Eastman, a former Trump lawyer, in a case related to Eastman's emails that were turned over to the House Committee investigating the January 6 Capitol riots, Justice Clarence Thomas recused himself from the decision over the appeal. Thomas did not offer details as to why he recused himself. This is the first time he has stepped aside in a case related to the events of January 6, 2021. Eastman was a former law clerk for Thomas, and some of the emails in the case in question were between Eastman and Thomas's wife, Ginny. Thomas has recently been under scrutiny for his undisclosed financial ties to a conservative billionaire, Harlan Crow, and his wife's alleged role in the reported legal campaign to keep Trump in power after he lost the 2020 presidential election. Eastman's appeal attempted to reverse a lower court ruling that allowed the House January 6 Select Committee to access emails that he had previously attempted to shield through attorney-client privilege. In 2022, the U.S. District Court Judge David Carter ordered the emails to be turned over, arguing that Trump and Eastman had likely participated in criminal conduct in their attempts to block the vote certification on January 6th. The legal case was later rendered moot after the emails became public, but Eastman appealed the ruling regardless. The recusal note comes as Thomas faces demands by Democratic lawmakers to recuse from a major administrative law case expected to be heard later this term and calls by watchdog groups to recuse himself from an oral argument involving the constitutionality of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's funding mechanism expected to be heard this week.
1: Thank you for those facts, Melissa. Our first spin is a democratic narrative coming from Spectrum News New York One. While it's long overdue that Justice Thomas has finally recused himself from a case related to January 6th, the fact that he even has to is worrying in itself. From suspicious, undisclosed financial dealings with a billionaire to the shady legal scheming of his wife, Thomas has been embroiled in far too much controversy. He needs to continue to recuse himself from cases related to former President Trump's election in the future and keep his hands clean.
0: Where there's a Democratic, there is usually a Republican narrative, and this one comes from the Boston Herald. Justice Thomas and his wife, Virginia, keep their work and political beliefs separate, and he should not be vilified and punished for things his wife had every right to do. It's ridiculous to expect him to recuse himself from every case related to the 2020 election. Justice Thomas is an inspiring and upstanding member of the Supreme Court, and he will continue to do what he does best with his decades-long record of judicial consistency.
1: The Metaculous Prediction community has a nerd narrative once again. They say there's a 5% chance that a U.S. Supreme Court justice will be impeached and removed before 2030. The United Auto Workers reach a tentative deal with Mack Truck. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Reuters, CNN, Fox News, CBS, and Associated Press. The United Auto Workers, or UAW, and Volvo Group-owned Mack Trucks agreed Sunday to a tentative deal that covers nearly 4,000 employees at the company just before the current contract was set to expire, narrowly averting a strike that would have added to work stoppages at plants run by the big three Detroit automakers. First announced on X, formerly known as Twitter, this temporary deal comes after the union stated that MAC employees had authorized almost unanimously a strike last month. The agreement must still be ratified by the UAW before being officially accepted. While details of the agreement have not been immediately released, bargaining goals of the union that represents workers at five MAC trucks facilities included increased wages, as well as improved health care and pension benefits. Mack Trucks, established in 1900 and bought by Volvo in 2000, is reportedly one of North America's largest manufacturers of medium-duty and heavy-duty trucks, engines, and transmissions, selling products to nearly 30 countries. This development follows the second expansion of the UAW strike since it began on September 15th, with 7,000 more workers at a General Motors plant in Lansing, Michigan, and a Ford plant in Chicago walking off the job on Friday. About 25,000 auto workers in total are currently striking across the U.S. The union is demanding a 36% raise in general pay over four years, as well as other benefits, including a 32-hour workweek with 40 hours of pay, defined benefit pensions for workers hired since 2007, and a return of cost-of-living pay raises.
0: Those were the facts, and we'll start this round of spins with the Daily Caller's Republican Narrative. Democrats like to boast about how pro-union they are, but that unconditional support has empowered this all-too-powerful union to implement an economy-stifling strike. If Biden really had the workers' well-being in mind, his administration would have done more to prevent this walkout that is going to crush the economy and hopefully his re-election chances.
1: As expected, there's a democratic narrative and it's coming from Alternate. Republicans have stood by for decades while these companies' profits and executive compensation have skyrocketed, far outpacing employee compensation and benefits. President Biden and the Democrats are doing what they can to help the workers, but the only ones to blame here are the exploitive companies and their GOP
0: allies. We've got another nerd narrative. This one says there's a 50% chance that at least 459,000 workers will go on strike as part of a major work stoppage in the U.S. in 2023. Tom Hanks sounds the alarm on an A.I.D. fake of himself. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The Hollywood Reporter, Today, The New York Post, The Mirror, and Business Insider. Tom Hanks recently warned his 9.5 million followers on Instagram about an ad for a dental plan. The ad appears to use fake images of a younger version of Hanks made by artificial intelligence. Beware! There's a video out there promoting some dental plan with an AI version of me. I have nothing to do with it," Hanks wrote in a post. The origins of the video, as well as the dental plan it promoted, is unknown. Hanks' publicist did not respond to requests for additional comments. The 67-year-old Hollywood star has previously spoken out on the rise of artificial intelligence and deepfake technology and its effects on the entertainment industry. Three months before the July start of the SAG-AFTRA strike, Hanks said in a podcast that it's now possible for him to continue acting even after his death. Tanks warned that once the technology is available, there will be nothing to differentiate between a real-life video and one that has been altered with AI, posing legal and artistic challenges. The ongoing strike by the SAG-AFTRA also has an AI angle, with concerns over opportunities for studios to eliminate the use of background actors altogether, or borrow a celebrity's likeness without their permission.
1: Melissa, thank you for those facts. We begin the round of spins with an establishment-critical narrative coming from Sky News. Hank's warning personifies the problem with artificial intelligence and its use in the entertainment space. The unauthorized use of a person's name, likeness, or voice should be protected immediately. We are drifting into a dystopian territory as these deepfakes emerge and infiltrate the content we consume.
0: Here's the pro-establishment narrative from GovTech. Celebrities typically charge for commercial use of their likeness, and these rights can be enormously valuable. So it's possible that new economic opportunities could actually be created with AI likeness of actors. This is just one of the many nuances that regulators must factor in when creating policy to help govern deep fakes. This is a tricky arena, but thoughtfully developing fair rules and regulations can ensure that a creative Wild West doesn't occur.
1: Metaculous Prediction community gives us our final nerd narrative of today's podcast. They say there's a 50% chance that the first original, wholly AI-generated number one ranking feature film on a popular streaming service will occur by July of 2030. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast.
0: Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers. Figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: Find out more at Verity.News. And you can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa Topshire, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.